0: Welcome inside the Legends, Legends Lounge, Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game.
1: A lot of you and I know Billy Bean, and this is, and he'll tell you probably um, during this as well this is not Billy Bean of the Oakland A's. This is Billy Bean of Major League Baseball. But You and I know him. We've had discussions with him. I've done interviews with him on TV, but you don't have a lot of time. This is the ideal destination for an interview like this because you need time and the stories are impactful and emotional.
2: The director of inclusion and equality needs a lot more than a 30 second soundbite. And I think this was such a wonderful um, medium and platform for him to be able to really explain what it is about what he does why it was even necessary and how much more we need to do
1: wild story and he will take you on that ride he is a public speaker and a brilliant one at that so we'll let billy take over this podcast and share his story at length Six-year big leaguer joining us in the lounge. He now holds one of the most important roles in the sport. I think one of the most important roles in all of sports, doing some amazing things for Major League Baseball and very impactful with his words. We've had numerous conversations with him off camera in the past and on other shows too. Billy Bean is the Senior Vice President of Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion at MLB. Billy, how's life?
0: Scott, thank you. And Alana, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, I appreciate that uh, introduction. <laughs> um, life is, uh, you know, baseball, it feels healthy right now after what we've come through the last couple of years to see uh, the way, you know, full ballparks, first of all, uh, I know we're not talking about a pandemic. We're talking about great baseball players and young superstars and dynasties and all these kinds of fun fun term so uh but baseball at the office or life at the office of the commissioner of major league baseball is very busy and uh it is uh already um the you know seemingly the day after the world series uh first work day and uh, we are already preparing for gm meetings and owners meetings and winter meetings and um because it's our job to make the sport uh the best it can be and so my job um is one of great responsibility and privilege, you know, to try to figure out ways that we can be more equitable and more inclusive, um, in ways that uh, that not only baseball um, has has built a reputation as a sport of Jackie Robinson, that we should lead those conversations, but that we have credibility in the space and that we're actually doing things that are changing lives and and growing the sport in front of uh, eyes of every lived experience. Um, and so it's, it's comprehensive. And as we, you both know, the world is changing every single day. There's no expert in conversations about DEI or, or collaboration. Um, you know, to me running this department, uh, I'm one year into that job. I, I started, um, with sharing my own lived experience in front of big league baseball players. And, and from there, we were able to build out education uh, resources for the players. And, and, and to me, uh, this is a culmination of, 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 many things, but to me, De and I um, and for those players out there or people interested in baseball um, from the, from the, the space of baseball, it's our job to share our values out there. And so are, are we inclusive in our messaging at the ballparks, um, how we talk to our young players in our hiring practices. Um, do people of, from every walk of life feel welcome and represented in what they see on a big league scoreboard or by the people that are talking about the sport, you know, on their phone or on television or via radio or streaming or wherever that platform takes them. And these are all um, new frontiers, you know, the, the expectation that people are just going to come to baseball, uh, because, uh, we have great players. Right. Um, I think we might've gotten a little lazy in that, uh, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, just expecting, um, people to, to line the gates. And, and you know, when we have, um, uh, you know, impasse and, uh, negotiations between owners and, and, and the players, um, it it really you know that that actually happened to me when my i was part of two two work stoppages as an athlete as a big league player and um you know there's those scars that'll never heal for for some of the players especially the players of my my level but for the fans um and so it's just an ongoing narrative of how we can uh bring the sport closer in a meaningful incredible way
2: bill you brought up a lot Um, in that conversation, but one thing stood out to me above all, you talk about your lived in experience, how you had to talk to players about it and how you had the opportunity to talk to players. Nobody can be a special assistant to the commissioner and a senior vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Have you not lived something like that where you didn't feel included for those that may not know exactly your story? Tell me more about that lived in experience that you shared early on in your career before you got this position.
0: Sure. So, uh, I I played. I made it to the big leagues. I was 21 years old. I was uh, called up to the big leagues uh, with the Detroit Tigers in 1987. Um, so I played in a different era. And um, one of the things that I was battling uh, during my playing career was a secret, uh, Alana, and that is that um, I am a gay man. And and uh, the idea that Major League Baseball and homosexuality would ever intersect on any level. I never thought that that would be the case. And, and, you know, the I think we all are uh, a product of where we come from. And my, my upbringing, I was raised by um, uh, a man who was in the uh, Marine Corps and then became a a uniformed law enforcement officer for 25 years after his military career ended. I'm the oldest of five boys, raised Catholic. Um, I never met a gay person before that told me that they were gay before I was played my first major league baseball game. So I did not understand, uh, my sexual orientation or accept it, um, messaging representation, all of these words that, uh, were foreign in in the late eighties. There was no image that I could relate to that was narrated or brought, um, by a straight white male, the same that most women were subjected to as, as being objectified as sexual objects in television shows, in comedy routines, mm-hmm. in movies, um, they weren't brought to us in the form of intelligence or game changers or or um, it was it was an acceptable uh, set of stereotypes. So, you know, my heroes were George Brett, Paul Molitor, mm. um, Tony Gwynn you know and and i actually got to play with those people which is incredible and uh and i i just thought that there must be something wrong with me and i i tried to uh suppress that secret and um and i actually you know i bounced around a little bit i, I really struggled with self acceptance and i was my own worst enemy there was nobody to talk to um at least i didn't think so and the only value system that I had placed on myself was that if I get two hits in every baseball game I play and I will have a baseball jump, so <laughs> I, I whittled it down to that. And I, you know, was a left-handed hitting outfielder and, um, did really well in the minor leagues, moved up super fast. And, and, uh, as soon as I got the big leagues, I sat on the bench for the first time in my life. And, and all of a sudden the game started to speed up on me, you know, and I was like, Wow. Nolan Ryan, you know, <laughs> Mark and Randy Johnson, you know, guys that uh, um actually got, you know, chance to start a game against Nolan Ryan in my career, you know, just uh, moments that were bigger than I expected. And then, um, you know, got traded to l a Dodgers, my hometown. I got to play for Sparky Anderson and Tommy Lasorda. So there was no space for me to bring in my off the field problem. And I wasn't living a gay old life either. I was uh, actually suppressing all of that um, and got married and tried to do everything that all of my peers and heroes did. And, and, uh, you know, I made some really, really tough, horrible decisions to try to please everyone in the world and, and, um, And when you talk, uh, or I, you know, you mentioned that I said the word lived experience, the walking into a big league clubhouse, knowing that I was one sentence away from being booted out of there so fast, that's what feeling like the other person feels like. And for some, um, as a woman, you can't change that when you walk into the room, you are a trailblazer in our sport. I have watched you for years and you are an LA girl and, and, you know, you, you've, you navigate around those that are problematic and that, uh, you know, in, in sports, things move quickly. Um, you don't have time to complain about that if you want to be a part of, of this amazing, you know, game that we all work in. Um, and so, you know, for me, I just started to bury and bury and bury. And then by a twist of fate in my fifth big league season or fourth big league season, I met somebody, um, and I left my marriage immediately and and uh, and I thought that I was able to manage this secret and navigate around that and play in the major leagues at the same time. and it was it was a silly uh, undertaking t- to put it lightly um, and but for some reason, once I started living truthfully at home, even though I was living deceitfully to the rest of the world,, um, i never introduced this person to my family um i was roommates with brad osmus for two and a half seasons he never we never had a conversation about it you know um ever and um and ironically you know after the fact these relationships really took a beating um because of my inability to trust that friendship and um and those were even uh, more difficult lessons to learn. But what really uh, ended my career very quickly um, was I was actually navigating and, and starting to contribute at the big league level, had a pretty good season, um, uh, a year and a half with the uh, Padres. And um, I came home one night and, and um, my partner had become ill. Uh, be- before opening day of 1995 season, he was diagnosed with HIV. Um and, uh, that was a lot to, to manage. And then I came home one night and rushed him to the hospital and he died of cardiac arrest, Ugh. um, with, you know, symptoms brought on by his HIV status. And, and, uh, I walked into that hospital with the person and I walked out with a bag of clothes in my hand and had a one o'clock, uh, game that day. Um, and it was about seven thirty AM in the morning. And I realized that, I had never told anybody about this person. And I, you know, you don't, you don't come out and then tell someone that your partner died on this at the same time, you know, it's a, uh, and so, you know, it was a long time ago and, and uh, but those scars are, are deep because I, I did not believe that I deserved um, any kind of, of, uh concession or consolation from from loved ones i was only valuing myself as a major league player and i thought the minute that i let my private life into that space that that it would all go away and ironically that's what ended up happening um i played the rest of that year um uh, in complete secrecy and and then once the, i think the 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 interesting nature about baseball is that you can really Um, you get into such a routine as you both are during the regular season responsibilities of travel and games. And, and, uh, and the minute that stopped, I just started to really uh, implode on myself. Mm -hmm. And I I was really in a dark space and I was certain I would never tell my father. Um, I wrote a book about my life experience at the urging of uh, the LGBTQ community uh, Uh, probably about five years after my career was over. And the whole story is my fear of my parents changing the way they felt about me. And so, um, you know, trying to manage, uh, you know, my secret, the grief of my partner. And then the idea, I actually went and saw, uh, and this is one of the, the, the reasons why I've been so connected to mental health and wellness for the players, mostly as an advocate of, of how it would have benefited me is that I, um, only saw one, uh, physician, uh, that had diagnosed my partner and he flat out told me that I would become HIV positive, uh, within six to eight months since I had been exposed, even though I had tested negative. Um, and so I was going to the park with that in my head as well. <laughs> and, um, and it was a, a trifecta of, uh, of drama. And, uh, and i was i for for some reason i was fortunate i never contracted hiv and and i'm healthy and grateful for that but it uh it could have gone either way it was uh and and by the time that season ended i just thought it's probably better if someone like me uh leaves baseball i didn't want to embarrass my team my friends myself um there was tremendous stereotypes attached to um being gay and, you know, the possibility that I might, you know, uh, be HIV. I w- I was really, really messed up. People were dying still in 1995 and 96 of HIV. Um, and there was a tremendous stigma attached. And, and so I just, uh, I left baseball. Um, my family was devastated. We never talked about it, uh, for probably a year or so. They couldn't understand why, um, And I never gave them a chance even to be there for me. And so um, when you talk about a lived experience, I I am inspired and driven by my own mistakes to make sure that nobody that is interested in baseball is turned away um, because of any other reason than they are just not either prepared or committed or ready to jump into this crazy sport that we work in. I I don't want... um, any, anyone to say I wasn't given a fair chance and, um, you know, the beauty of how the field works and players and we see change all the time, um, you know, as our sport gets better and better and better. And I am literally in awe of the players, you know, and, and, you know, to see the fans in Philadelphia, literally levitate the players off the field, you know, that it was just <laughs> something, uh, amazing. And, uh, and, and so, um, you know, when you talk about, you know, my opportunity to um, reach out to players, I'm not there to tell them what they should or shouldn't do. I, I'm there to provide a consideration um, and maybe a little clarity from past experience about the opportunity to play as long as they can. And there, that, that sentence in itself brings so many things into play. They all have a chance to be an ambassador of our sport, um, good or bad. And, mm-hmm. and the impact that they have on children or young fans, um, uh, arm around a kid for a, a selfie, you know, or a Jersey or a bat. When you see Mike Trout or Mookie Betts hand a kid something and they, they just, they will never not be that little kid when yeah. they're 55 years old, they're going to remember that moment. And that is powerful. And, and they have, so I want them to appreciate, you know, this amazing platform that, um, that we have, we, we are so much better at marketing our players and bringing them closer to fans. Um, you guys do a great job. You know, we all, uh, lift them up, you know, it's a hard game and, and, uh, they play 200 times a year and, and through hot days and cold days and travel days. And, um, and so, you know, for me, it's, it's a lot about inspiration and, and, uh, and trying to get them to, you know, make the most of their opportunity.
1: Yeah, Billy, I mean, of course, and I've heard this story it, it's especially for those hearing it for the first time, it's, it's super impactful. Uh, there are times it's, it's hurtful, even to to hear it, you know, like you you feel even every time I hear it, like the the pain, um, and just to spin it forward to what you're talking about for a moment here, and then we'll go back to how do those conversations with current players start? Obviously, we're not going to go, hey, this is who I spoke to. And, and yeah, 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 we spoke about this, but like, where, where does that begin and i know that you've shared your story with with many current players i'm, I'm very curious you know does it start with a conversation on the field a phone call you know, take me
0: inside that well there's a lot of it's a great question because it's 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 not always the same it, i think when we started um when dan halum and 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 commissioner manfred uh, asked me to come to baseball. I, I, it's interesting. I I was asked to come to New York and I I hadn't heard from baseball in a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had really started to become a, a elevated personality within the LGBTQ community because we had so little representation in pro sports. Mm-hmm. And so it's only, it's, it was only interesting because I, my association with MLB and so, um, when they asked me to come back, I thought maybe you know superstar level player might be ready to make this decision to share something about them, and they wanted some guidance there. But really, it was about us changing our our workplace policy and adding sexual orientation into a list of of, of uh, protected demographics. And mm-hmm. now we have a very comprehensive workplace protection policy now that's beautiful, and it wasn't when I got here, um, and it is. Uh, you know, something that every player needs to understand. They're they're professionals. They work in a workplace. So from a high level, Scott, I, I try to make it more than just about like my story. I think they you know, most players don't know that in a 154 year history of baseball, um, only two former big leaguers have ever publicly disclosed their sexual orientation as gay. And uh, the first was Glenn Burke, uh, who played for the Dodgers as well like I did um uh, he played in the 70s and and uh started in the World Series game and he was much more uh self-confident about who and what he was he had he had 100 percent family support uh I'm very close with his sister uh, Luther, uh, uh Davis and um she's just describes that, you know, Glenn was just Glenn, you know, and, and, uh, and he was a legend in, 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 um, in, uh, you know, Oakland area as a, you know, high school three sports star. Um, and so Glenn was, you know, his story and his, his truth, his energy, it, it pushed him out of the game. He played for some tough managers too. He played for Tommy Lasorda and he played for Billy Martin and, and, uh, and these were different times. So, um, what I try to do is the opportunity. Maybe there's a player that needs uh, that is, uh, you know, being asked to have some sensitivity training uh, by a comment that was made, you know, in the throes of a, a a confrontation or aggression on the field that wasn't premeditated. It's a lot of the learned lessons, the lessons that you and I both learned on the playground when you're seven or eight years old, you know, you feminize boys when you want to rag them or you you call girls, uh, you know, you sexualize them or say that they're slutty or or whatever. It is it's it's a thousand years old and it's something that we have to unlearn. Um, and again, so it's it's, you know, in a group setting, um, there's a lot of really progressive GMs and uh, managers that I have really great relationships with. I cultivate that with all 30 clubs at the best I can in the right time and space. Um, and sometimes they want to have conversations in front of that. We had a really horrific off season a couple seasons ago with some high level major leagues, uh, senior uh, uh, executives that had had done some really, really horrific, uh, misogynistic and sexist and sexual harassing uh, behavior. Um, And as opposed to pretend it didn't happen, I I use that as a learning item for players to see. No, we don't we players pay attention to what other players have done. And uh, and these are stakeholders in the game. And I wanted people to understand the elusiveness of your career when you make choices that misrepresent your organization. And so um, it's it's complicated because we have a. The scale of baseball is so much bigger than the other sports, our our minor league, our player development system. We have over five, six thousand athletes in jerseys, you know, receiving a check. Fifteen hundred players come each year, and fifteen hundred players leave every year, and it is difficult. But it's the facts, and you know we're making these young players. You know that the the draft, the MLB draft this summer was unbelievable. You know, for Mm -hmm. someone who was drafted twice and (laughs) and got a telegram from the New York Yankees (laughs) like three (laughs) days later, Um, and so you know they're household names practically in the sports world, and so one. One off color comment or one moment's indiscretion and they can be labeled forever, you know. And, and so for me, it's a disservice to all of them if we're not getting in front of them and preparing them for the way um, the world is going to treat them differently. They're probably thinking I'm the same person. Um, and so I try to come at the, uh, the, the with the strategy of of uh, prevention and clarity um, and opportunity. And then and why, you know, why are we here when they see Alana walk into the clubhouse or they see you, Scott, come into the clubhouse? And because you're not wearing a uniform, are they going to bully you because you're not uh, six foot five and throw a ninety nine mile an hour fastball? No, you're a professional. You're every bit as integral to the game as they are. And, you know, a lot of young kids think they're irreplaceable. And we all know that that's not the case. The game will continue long after the three of us are in working and it will, it will flourish. And so I think it's just sharing a little bit of experience in in a way that is, uh, has humility. Um, Believe me, when I first got hired, sharing that story about myself, I I felt sick to my stomach each time I I felt a little bit of shame. Um, I, I, you know, the people that I look up to have always worn a baseball uniform and their, their image of me I always wanted it to stay as playing center field for the Tigers or the Dodgers or the Padres, not that I have a a man as a partner, you know, or whatever stereotypes that they are going to drag into that vision. It was easy for me to get in my head and just say, um, and, you know, I I have to give a lot of credit to the senior leaders here that really, um, you know, I'll never forget Commissioner Manfred saying, Billy Bean, you played in the major leagues, you are appear to these young men. Don't ever forget that. And, and so, you know, I've met a lot of kids who were bullied, who could not dissolve into the room like I could. And I lived on both sides of this, you know, some people, people of color, I keep using Alana as a reference, because half the world is treated with inherent bias and and discrimination, because they are women. And we have to change that. But for many, especially in the LGBTQ community, they, they can't hide um, their gender expression or Mm -hmm. their, um, and they are, they are, you know, five times more likely to self-harm than other kids their age. And, and so they, and they don't have a voice and, and, you know, not everyone is going to play major league baseball and be, make millions of dollars in their early twenties and and have everyone in the world want to be their best friend or be their companion or whoever. Um, and so I take a deep breath and I think about people like Matthew Shepard and I think about, um, yes, you know, and, and I just say, you know what, this is, this is my job and, uh, and we're going to make the most of this moment. And it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't have to be a, a PowerPoint slideshow. It is just, Two people, it could be me in front. I mean, I remember walking into the Yankees clubhouse in 14, you know, with CC Sabathia, Arod, Derek Jeter, you know, uh the, the the they had the biggest team I've ever seen. Right. Ever. And I was like <laughs> standing there, and uh um butantis probably I think was on that team, right? Like they were yeah, these guys <laughs> were like basketball guys that were six foot six and um and and I just thought, you know, I knew many of them, uh, you know, I met guys like A-Rod and Derek when they were, yank, you know, like rookies, and, and that's how long they had been playing. Um, and I just realized that, you know, this was an a, an effort for baseball just to be a little bit better. And And I do represent a small part of the conversation about inclusion and consideration. And it's not that you're I need. I'm looking to find out if you have a gay teammate, or I, if I ever care if that happens. It's about the the words we use in the clubhouse. You know the things that I saw. I remember Alana uh, as a member of the Dodgers and being in the Houston Astrodome <laughs> the first park in the history of the World to hit in um, <laughs> three women walking in there as reporters and just almost criminally being a- accosted by comments you know Mm -hmm. and i was young and i was afraid to say anything and i just put my head in the locker and it was awful and I, i just felt so badly for them and i thought someone should be sticking up for them you know and and every you know the and so this is what i mean about the power of the athlete and and never more so than now are the players have power right and so we need to create leaders that expect better and demand better and want better. And because the young players will follow. And, you know, in my day, we certainly weren't, there was no way to do it yet, but you know, you have reporters texting players mm-hmm. in minor leagues. We have, you know, incidences where they misunderstand that as a, as a, some kind Correct. of invitation and respond with a, you know, a photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the fastest way out of baseball. And, but they need to be told that. And so, racism sexism homophobia they are braided in their evils right so that it's all connected in one way or another so i'm not going in there to talk about how hard my life was my job is to explain why i have been given the opportunity to have a conversation with them so if my lived experience allows for them to say wow that might've been hard to be the only gay dude in a clubhouse for six, seven years. Maybe they'll just listen. And, and many times when you talk about um, you know, I challenge them as future parents, you know, the, the, the fear I had of letting my father down um, you know, and it's so interesting, the players that have young children, um, the, the development that that ha- creates, it's interesting, you know, they they just, there's a there's a different level of responsibility and awareness to that superhuman gladiator, you know, um, 21-year-old, and they deserve to go through that moment too, you know, to be that a world-class athlete, but it really allows for the opportunity of what kind of conversations your children are bringing to the dinner table at night. Right. Are you going to raise a bully? Are you going to raise you know, a a great leader, a kid that, you know, will protect, you know, someone who's uh, being picked on. Um, And sometimes you can see the guys, you know, sit up a little straighter and they're like, okay, I got that. Mm -hmm. I can see that, you know, because most of those kids or young men in the clubhouse weren't bullied because they're exceptional. Right. right? Right. At least physically. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, you know, and, and uh, you know, I speak Spanish, so I'm down in the in the uh, Dominican um, as often as we've been able to since COVID. But in um, culturally, all of these conversations are different. Um, but, you know, them, uh, the athletes that come to the States after, you know, playing in the academies and uh, we've seen the impact of these, you know, just this incredible wave of young generational superstar Latino talent in the last two or three years. Um, and so, you know, what they say and do, I want to, I want them to be great ambassadors too. And, and, uh, and conversations about women and gays in the DR or Venezuela or Mexico or Puerto Rico or, uh, Nicaragua are are different Different. than the ones that are in New York city, Chicago and San Francisco and San Diego. Right. No
2: question. No question. There's two things that I want to, I want to make sure we don't look over pass over. You had said everybody that you've ever looked up to was wearing a baseball uniform. And you also said that you never gave your family a chance to support you. Have you ever, where are you at with that?
0: Yes, that, uh, thank you for that question. It, uh, I definitely don't want to convey that my family, I didn't give my family the chance. And I, and I think, uh, you know, MLB network did an amazing documentary. Um, and they interviewed my parents, and I did not watch the interview. So I didn't, I didn't know uh, what to expect. Oh, Um, that gives me chills. Yeah. And, you know, my mom is, you know, she was 18 years old when she had me and she's, she's amazing woman. And, and it just, that wasn't their dream for me, you know, and I was a young kid in the big leagues and, and, and uh, you know, I love my dad and he is, solid and consistent and and he was in the military at 17 and and you know they they spoke about gays that way that's how they toughened them up and 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 so i almost would have preferred not to be than to be what i am you know and and those are you know scary conversations internally and 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 so for some reason, I just thought I'm only good if I'm the best and I if I I can't fall anywhere in the middle uh, and I didn't give my parents a chance to help me while I was still playing. And then finally, my mom basically just pulled me aside and, and you know, shook it out of me and said, yeah. you're going to tell me what is going on with you. That we are your family. And, we, and, and she didn't know if I had a drug problem or I, you know, whatever. I just was not me. I was gone and I didn't want to be around them. And, and I was trying to figure it out, Alana. And I, I wasn't good at it. You know, I was, I was wishing it away. Um, And man, when I, when I left baseball, I missed it so much and I did not appreciate it's, it's value to me. And, and, and I thought I'm only going to embarrass myself or baseball or i did not want to be known as a gay baseball player i want you know and it's interesting there's there's a a part of me still that uh that just you know the amount of regret that i didn't give my both my parents a chance my dad was amazing you know and i thought he was gonna not be and Mm -hmm. and i forgot that they the other 99 percent of me they that didn't change. And so it was it was tough. And, and you know, and I wish I would have introduced them to my partner who passed away. And that was uh, a deep regret. I didn't go to his funeral because we had a game. Ugh. I mean, just just really bad decisions and things that are hard to forgive yourself for. And I don't I don't think about it often. Tonight is reminding me. um And uh, and I but I was young. I was a kid, and I I thought because I was in the big leagues that I knew what I was doing, and I I needed, I needed some family and some love around me, and and um, and that was hard. And you know Brad Ausmus, his wife Liz, you know Tori Lovello, I mean these guys are like my best friends, and mm-hmm. I didn't speak to Tori for eight years. I thought he wouldn't want to be my friend, and <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until. Um, his grandfather was passing away who we had this, we grew up together and, and uh, his father, his grandfather used to always say that Tori was his second favorite baseball player. Um, And uh, we were very close. Tori went to UCLA. I went to Loyola and, um, and uh, his, his, uh, before his, he said, my grandpa's sick and you need to get your butt here and give him one more kiss, you know, and, and, uh, and that really, that brought us back together. and, you know, it was just, um, it was uh, hard, you know, just lack of knowledge, you know, Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I can't, I can't think of it, not insecurity, but um, just not uh, being evolved, not mature, immaturity, you Mm -hmm. know, in a way that, um, and I, I just think that, you know, the messages that, we were fed um i i only assumed that that was the way that people would see me and and so um you know it's still hard to be sometimes the only one in the room i i know you know what that feels like you know i see you i i i want to say i you know to see you spar with mad dog is like my favorite (laughs) part of the day i it's, (laughs) it's right here I see. I watch you. Uh, oh, thank you. Become prepared, and and uh, and you and you're you're dealing with a, a different generation, and you've won them over. Thank I saw you. your first show with them, and it's changed a lot. And it's uh, yeah. all credit to you. That's because you're talented, you. and that's 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 the exact example. You know, it's hard to prove yourself on live television every damn day, which you have to do, but. Um, you know, there was, a it's a moment and, you know, it uh, the, the, the part about baseball and the big leagues is that, um, not everybody gets 600 ABs to work, work it out. Right. Like sometimes, right. uh you know, when I played, I'd get to start against uh, Mike Scott in the Astrodome and then sit for a week. <laughs> you know, it was not pretty. <laughs> uh, and I'd sit in Wrigley and I'd sit you know, in all these uh, hitters parks. And, and uh, But it's still okay. It was still the best time ever. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to bring, you know, the, uh, more of an inspirational um, vibe that gets people fired up you know, to go out there and and uh I think that's what leadership's all about. It's not beating people down. So,
1: so, Billy, one more I want to get in there is to just fill some blanks for this uh podcast and some of the themes that we have with it sometimes is life between playing career in this job. We did get to go into a lot of what this job is about in the short time we have, yeah. But what you went through after you left the game from a mental component, but then also like, what were you doing? You know, what, what did yeah. you do in life for that Fair. time
0: period? <laughs> <laughs> so when you, uh, that was another thing. I did not have a plan B. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Most don't.
0: That's so, why we talk about
1: it. Yeah. Most
0: don't. Even so, when if they don't make it known. or they play. Right. I got, yeah. I got this dog. Oh, right yay. <laughs> I moved to Miami beach mm-hmm. and uh, this dog's name was Paco. Oh, and he Paco. lived to be, 16 and uh he's uh maybe the best uh best buddy ever had and Mm -hmm. um and uh i i i thought it's it's so interesting Uh, you know i i I stayed in school you know i did all the right things graduated from college but when you give 10 years of your life to something um I, i i did not it took me a hot minute to like like digest what i have done like i i did not uh i had always been told i was going to be a manager you know hmm. i had all the the makings and i used to get so mad you know I'd, shut up i'm a player i'm not going to coach i'm not ready <laughs> to do all stuff so, and then you know the, the you know the great irony of uh and i i did not come out when i quit i had no intention of that that what happened uh which we need another hour the this my life is um a series of sequences and events that uh, kind of forced me to make these decisions. And, and uh, uh, Timmy Leana pitched in the major leagues for a very, very short time was a college roommate of mine played for Cincinnati Reds in the 90 uh, world series team was number two pick of the Yankees. Um, uh, he was killed in a car accident, um, going to a golf tournament uh, in Bakersfield with a bunch of, uh, of buddies of ours. And, um, And I had moved to Miami Beach. And uh, this was at a time when, you know, people weren't texting yet in 1999. And um, his family didn't know how to get in touch with me. And I, I missed his funeral. I missed a guy's funeral who was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. We were roommates at college for four years. We played in Alaska together. We got drafted together. Um, and I just, I just couldn't, I could not accept it, Scott. Like I was so sick of myself by then, you know, that, that what was I and, and, and the, his family, you know, who I basically, you know, was raised with, he grew up very close to our college. They just assumed I didn't care and it couldn't have been anything further from the truth and it turned out that they all had uh, kind of found out through the grape line why I had moved away, why I had quit baseball. And and so um, I just decided to stop lying about it. And I didn't make any kind of plan. Um, um, and I had met somebody, this was almost three, four years after my, first, or my last game. Um, and after my partner had died and he was in the restaurant business. And so I started, uh, helping out at the restaurant. And then I also got a job at uh, WTVJ in Miami. as oh, intern. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, And I was producing, I had done the, um, during the lockout of 94, I had done the week, done the weekend sports uh, <laughs> for San Diego Wow, for CBS. Oh, that's I, awesome. I had actually had like a tape and I thought, <laughs> well, maybe I'll go into uh, TV, um, Keith Olbermann was, uh, wanted me to move up to Bristol he said you're a natural you know oh you can all these kinds of things and um uh, and uh um so I started interning at Joe Rose I don't know if you know who he is uh, of course oh I
1: I do well yeah. very well so, down there yeah, yeah
0: Joe Rose uh he he liked me right away and he was at um uh 560 WQAM <laughs> and that's where I met Boob Shambi
2: Oh Boob, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I was I was right back in the closet, and I was working at a radio station for nine bucks an hour, and doing updates. Um, and then I got offered uh, like a, 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 I put a reel together, and somebody ma- mailed it out. And I got offered uh, like to do news in in Savannah, Georgia, and El Paso, Texas, like a <laughs> For like eighteen thousand dollars a year. Oh, that's
2: more than I made. My first job was fifteen eight. I'm,
0: I'm a lot older than you. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm like, I can't do that. I just, I would have kept playing baseball. You know, what I mean? like <laughs> and so. I ended up running a restaurant, and then we opened up another one, and then that's when uh, a woman named Lydia Martin, who's a LGBTQ writer for the Miami Herald. She said, I know a secret about you, and I think we should tell everybody. Um, and and because of Tim's passing, I said, you know what? Go ahead. And wow. next thing I know, I'm on the front page of The New York Times with pictures of me playing. And it says, uh, you know, big leaguer comes out of hiding. Um and then it went everywhere. I was Diane Sawyer's calling me, Katie Couric, and you know, all these people. And and I I could not understand why, you know, all I could think about was the last year my lifetime batting average dipped under 230, and I was humiliated, you know, and I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like No, I don't want anyone to know about my story. And they're like, um, There's a lot of really amazing people. And in all seriousness, you know, LGBTQ uh, community taught me uh, about why it would be so important for me to. I mean, people that were fighting for, you know, medication for people dying of AIDS when the government wouldn't even call it by its name or Mm -hmm. or admit that there was a a pandemic or epidemic Um, and you know people fighting for you know fairness in the workplace to fight in the, for for their country to serve in the military um you know marriage equality was never uh, a a part of that conversation until that was brought at us as a way to polarize voters and and i i got to see people that were generous and 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 it made me feel like perhaps there is a purpose behind all of this experience that i had and i didn't know where i fit in um and i found myself veering towards kids that were bullied um and trying to find sports as a way to create um connections and making them feel you know loved or a part of something and and you know the joy of playing tennis you know or softball or running track or swimming or whatever and 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 i really felt uh a connection to that. And then, um, as I started, you know, more and more people's finding out that I, I wasn't going to say no. Um, <laughs> I, the, I was, you know, making all, all kinds of appearances on national television, on CNN, um, ESPN, Bob Lee was an amazing, you know, supporter. He kept having me on all the time talking about, you know, the, the, the culture for gays in sports. And, and it was, it was still, you know, a prohibited conversation and there was so little representation. And then Jason Collins comes out, you know, and and, uh, that they, you know, Michael Sam was out there and they, everyone Mm -hmm. thought that it was just going to be this wide open lane of athletes. Um, And it's, it's happening at lower levels, but um, um, you know, for those that aren't ready, that may be living the same experience that I am, I it's easy for me to understand why they they wait, because it's hard, you know, you two know it's hard to play in the major leagues and to bring that upon yourself before you have a lot of numbers on the back of your baseball card is a massive decision. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I hope that somebody with some experience is the first one, so they call them a major leaguer who just happens to be gay instead right. of a gay right. person playing major league baseball right. and i think that that will give that athlete a chance to be treated um you know in a way that is um functional or or doable because they will have brought it upon themselves so they will you know that is going to invite a lot of attention you know there's there's no more no other sport that allows for more time to talk about what you're doing wrong or <laughs> badly than this one and so that hanging over it is makes it a little bit different, you know, for from the other sports. Having to wait for the game to come to you, you know, we're the only sport when you're on offense you don't hold the ball. It's a it's a very peculiar uh, way to play a game, but um, but I want us to be ready for it, and I want us to, um, you know, create a culture that's going to allow. And I have to say that many of the players that do um, come up and say, Hey, thanks. You know, after, you know, I talk in the you know in the clubhouse or whatever, uh, which is always by invitation. We never, we never get in the club's way. Um, unless, uh, you know, I'm invited. Um, it's, we want, you know, the, the players, they'll say, you know, Hey man, I'm ready for a, a, a teammate. If he's gay, that's awesome. If, you know, I just hope he's a great teammate. Mm-hmm. That's all any, anyone could ask for as a, you know, as a team. So, but I guess it's a, a long way around, uh, you know, uh, Scott. The the there was a a lot a, lo, a larger demand for me as a, the the one representative of baseball. You know, I I think it is hard for me to imagine that no one has come out since me that has played in the big leagues. We've had a couple of minor league players. We had a player playing independent ball, Brian Ruby last year. Um, Solomon Bates just came out, and now he's he's. Uh, he he was you know he's no longer affiliated with the Giants but um, you know there's less and less uh, fanfare around it. It's interesting, um, but I, I don't think it's uh, prohibitive for a, a, a player's you know path if they are um, good enough to play in the big leagues. And uh, um, and so, but it's it's something that we have to work at all the time. We we can't just take for granted. That racism doesn't exist because we're not subjected to it we can't take it for granted that uh, misogyny or sexual harassment is is uh, a thing of the past because it's not and Mm -hmm. we certainly can't allow for um perpetuating stereotypes of homophobia the way we talk to umpires the way we talk to managers the way we talk to players um you know one of the things that's you know one of the most important initiatives that we have is how coaches talk to young players in the minor leagues. You know, there's a uh, there's a cultural, you know, sort of uh, leniency to being hard on players in ways that are disparaging. There's right. you can have discipline, but it doesn't. You don't need to uh, haze or bully, you know, the, the the player when you talk to them. So there's there's lots of work to do. That's for sure.
2: You are sought after as one of the keynote speakers that everybody wants to talk to. And I also, and I, and I want to read this myself going the other way. Tell me about the book um, and, and what's next for you. And not that you're not busy enough with what you're doing, <laughs> but um, you know, just tell me a little bit more about the book, the speaking opportunities and that and how those things have empowered you.
0: Well, again, the Alliance and the the relationship with baseball uh, is, is very appealing. I think, maybe a quarter of the inquiries think that I'm Billy Bean of Moneyball. Fame <laughs> <in the OTAs. laughs> I can say that. They offer him a lot more money to speak. <laughs> I Actually, I, I, uh, it's all education uh, for me. Billy and I were teammates once in 1988 for a few months. Can that, be- that must wow. have been confusing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my book, um, the book is a great platform for, for why I would come to speak. I think, uh, Alana, there was, uh, a, a, it's interesting as a lo- there's sometimes there's, uh, uncertainty, like who's going to arrive. And, and I, I wondered if baseball was going to wonder what, uh, what package is Billy Bean coming in, uh, you know, <laughs> eight years after his last baseball game or something, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, and, um, I am who I am. Uh, my, my book is about, um, you know, a, a quick, quick fast forward of where i grew up my mom was a single mom for uh, a while and then she married my stepfather who's the only dad i've ever known and they've been married almost 50 years and um um uh, and and growing up in you know 70s 80s you know southern california very conservative reagan country and and mm-hmm. uh, um you know religious catholic all that kind of stuff and um but it it really is about um this Insanity that I was navigating as a player, and I didn't, I didn't even realize it until I started to put it, you know, pen to paper. And I wrote, I wrote my book over like a year and a half period, and there were times that I just was a wreck. I, I drawing up, um, I bet, and and you know, finding pictures and you know, trying to hide a relationship from everyone in the world is, uh is not easy. And, and, and somehow I did it. And, and then, you know, in a blink, uh, Sam was gone. And, and, uh, and it was, I, it took me a long time to grieve, I think, and let, let go of, of the disappointment. I, I, I dreamed of being in the big leagues. I dreamed of playing for a long time. And I had belief that I had talent, you know, to, uh, achieve some things. I would have loved to play on a world championship team and, you know, all these amazing things, you know, every game I watch is half love and half, a you know, a punch, uh-huh. in the gut, you know, and I, I feel, you know, I talked to hundreds of players while we're watching the games and I'm like, just, just to hold one of these bats, you know, like, <laughs> ours are like balsa wood, you know, compared to, um, and, um, and, you know, and I just love the, the nuance of the game and how it changes and, and, and things like that. But the story is about my relationship with my parents and really um, one of the greatest compliments I I seem to to get often is that for those from my generation before the smartphone um, people say, I felt like I was reading this, my own story Mm -hmm. because I just wanted to fit in and I wanted to, you know, I had this whole secret lives I was quarterback of the football team. I got recruited to play college football. I played on the basketball team. We won CIF state championship in Dodger stadium, you know, as Santa in high school, you know, Steve Garvey was my hero. You know, I, I grew up five minutes from, you know, what it was Anaheim stadium in the old days, we Used to ride our bike. Um, and yet there wasn't one person who, who knew, what I was navigating I didn't know how to verbalize it. I never acted upon it until I met, you know, my partner Sam. Um and you know, to it it just was one of those things where um it's just a life story. It's not, you know, baseball was bad to me. Baseball is I'm I'm so honored and privileged to work in baseball. And baseball was the happiest moments of my life. Um I played winter ball four times. I played in Japan, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I've done a lot and I, you know, and it just, it's, it's something that, uh, I think putting it out there, there, I don't mince words. It's, it's, it's honest and it's real. And, and, uh, you know, there's some times that I feel, um, a little self-conscious about it being out there in that way. But, um, I told the truth and i didn't sensationalize anything you know there's a lot of people that have a lot of fantasies about other players none of that ever happened i i wouldn't have allowed it i didn't want anyone to know and mm-hmm. so um i i might have been the least gay person as the <laughs> only gay person <laughs> it's pretty sad, but it's probably true <laughs> so uh, i will send you a book tomorrow please
2: oh I, I would love that thank you please sign it for me too oh i would love that i would be honored thank you
1: same here i would love that too although I'm, I, I want to order it but
0: yeah yeah i was gonna order <laughs> it when yeah. i got off of this let us order yeah please, no no uh, no believe me that ship sailed a long time ago <laughs> 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 now they are gifts for uh it's interesting that it um as it's as time has gone on and people there's i think there's a new level of appreciation for you know what it may have been like at at that time. You know when um you know some of the things that Tommy Lasorda used to say. Tommy Lasorda's son died of AIDS while he I was st- on the team. He
2: still won't. He still didn't acknowledge it. I right? I
0: didn't. I didn't even know about it, and I was on the team. And and that would not happen today. There's no there's no secret that could be kept. Um, and you know the irony of uh tommy lasorda used to call he used to say billy bean billy bean the, the the boy of every girl's dream like he for some reason he used to sing that you know like probably because he i didn't play enough for him to think about anything on the field but it was <laughs> uh you know i the great irony you know of of all of that and and uh, and you know navigating around some really tough guys uh in those days a lot of you know players got away with a different culture um but it was just all wonderment and learning, and in you know playing for Sparky, um, yeah. and you know the happiest times. You know I played with Trevor Hoffman and Brad Osmus and Arky and Franco and uh, Ricky Gutierrez and Phil Plantier and Tony Gwynn. You know um, Freddie McGriff, Sheffield. All these. You know, uh, you know I got to play uh, last year or two years. Was it, two years ago three guys that were teammates got elected to the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Trevor Trammell and Jack. (laughs) Well, uh, Fred has an
2: opportunity on the uh, on the new ballot that just came out for all Mm -hmm. the players that uh, weren't elected, but still have an opportunity to
0: to do so. It's interesting how, you know, where um, the acceptance of of judgment will land, you know, in that because there's it's. Isn't it
2: funny how time changes things?
0: It does. It really is. It really is. You know you know, whether it's, 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 uh, it's called the hall of fame, you know, they're, they're famous. They are, you know, it's, it's uh, not the hall of um, character. Ethics. Yeah. <laughs> no. it's, not
2: the, it's not the hall of morality. and character. Uh, and otherwise,
1: we got to redo a lot there. You right? got,
2: a lot, you got a lot to change.
1: <laughs> yeah. Starting well, with
2: Ty Cobb. Let's go back that. Let's go back that far.
1: Right. <laughs> we can take exactly. a trip. Yeah. Well, Billy, thank you for sharing your story and your thoughts And, and not just for our audience here, but wherever you can, we always really respect and appreciate it to as many people as possible. And even like you said, whether it's to a huge audience or a single person, I think every single human on the planet, I mean, this can benefit from having a conversation with you. You have a deep purpose in this world, which means a lot. And I always look forward to our conversations on TV, but- I think this is more special because we actually have time. That's the beauty of a podcast. It's It's not a five minute standard TV segment. So this, this meant a lot to, to me and I'm sure Alana as well. And we are excited to read the book and, and lastly, on my end, I I think Alana, he would have been a TV star too if he went oh, no down doubt. that path. No doubt, <laughs> just got to battle through the the fifteen twenty k. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, I uh, exactly. I echo I echo yeah. Scott's sentiments, but uh, as much as I loved and respected you before, uh, it's a billion fold now. And thank you. Please continue to live your authentic, true self. Um, you are an inspiration. Uh, I absolutely adore you, Scott, and I appreciate this so much. And Truly, this has been one of my all-time favorite conversations in the two decades I've been covering sports. So, thank you for for doing this for us because it's it's eye-opening and more than that, it's important and it's critical um, for the way that we continue to move forward with with all of this.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: That was special. And on top of that, I can confirm a text and I'm sure or an email from you as well from Billy with an address so we can get a book so we can read that I very much look forward to reading the book during a brief vacation I have coming up.
2: Ah, very nice. But I can't imagine what it was that he had to go through. I mean, we can't even fathom the types of things that were going on in his mind and his heart and his body, um, making himself sick, probably, about everything that he had to go through. But the fact that Major League Baseball has gotten to this point where we've recognized the need for something um, like his position and the need for somebody like Billy Bean uh, to be able to Foster inclusivity uh, in this great game. And it's not just about gender. It's not just about sexual preference. It's about inclusivity with everything and making sure that every fan, every type of fan feels comfortable at a baseball game. So this was absolutely one of my favorite episodes of the lounge because it was really impactful. And it just, again, shows you that these guys are human beings first. And I think that was so important.
1: Yeah. Inclusivity about, and he's big on on this topic and very involved in the space of Mm -hmm. anti-bullying, which, which goes from children all the way up to adults and especially in sports. So uh, Billy is a special individual. He really works his ass off and he is always available to talk to basically anyone and has a ton of, for as many public conversations like this that he has, there are, you know, dozens, hundreds, whatever, of private conversations for people um, that need a resource like him. So we appreciate that. Let's sneak in a little this week in baseball because Alana, there were some real stories, some enlightening stories this week that I learned. Some if you will. Yes, absolutely. I have time for one um, that we do know and then one that we probably don't know. So let's start with don't know. December 13, 1956. This one was new for me. Jackie Robinson, legendary Dodger. Traded to the crosstown rivals, the San Francisco Giants, for pitcher Dave Littlefield and 35000 bucks, Jackie, according to some accounts, had already decided privately to leave the game to work for Chock Full of Nuts. And he publicly <laughs> retires from baseball rather than accepting the traders. I'm sure Dodger fans were thrilled about it. They're like, screw that. Don't go to San Francisco. Be like, I'm not going to the Giants. I'm going to Chock Full of Nuts. Take that. <laughs>
2: I have to say, I'm incredibly embarrassed. I covered the Dodgers for seven seasons. I likened myself to a pretty good Dodger fan and a pretty good, um, what I thought was a pretty good Dodger reporter. I had absolutely (laughs) no idea that jackie decided you know what i'm gonna go ahead and hang up these cleats and i'm gonna go ahead and work for chock full of nuts i mean doesn't that just sound like a natural transition you're one of the most pioneering people ever to play this game you've changed you've changed the face of the game you changed the world as we saw it at the time and you're gonna go ahead and walk away to go to chock full
1: of nuts Well, that also speaks to the salaries back then yeah
2: Yeah, it's not it's not a you know 10 years 360 it's not 11 years (laughs) Uh, 280. It's not any of that stuff, but $35,000 in a trade for Jackie Robinson. And uh, he said, that's it. I'm good.
1: You got to tell your Dodger group chat, like Oral Hirschheiser, Joe Davis, or whoever they, they got to If they haven't used that one, you got to A, see if they know it and B, have them mix that into the broadcast at some point in 2023. And then we have just five seconds for this one, but uh, also December 16, 2002, the twins released David Ortiz. The rest is history
2: whoops
1: Oops.
2: <laughs> sorry about it
1: <laughs> my bad uh we appreciate everyone as we get you know we're in the holiday season and getting close to the end of the year just also want to let you know we're going to do a little best of action so stay tuned for that with arrestus Solana and myself see you next week Legends Lounge podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at Legends Lounge at MLBPAA.com. Check out our memorabilia at MLAMAuthentics.com. Later, Legends. Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.